You are listening to Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect it can't be complained about. By my co-host, John Syracusa, I'm Dan Benjamin. Today It's February 3rd, 2012. I show this as being episode number 53, and we would like to say thank you very much to our two sponsors today, MailChimp.com and FreshBooks. We'll tell you more about those as the program continues. We also want to mention bandwidth for this episode is provided by Mac Mini Colo. Low cost, high performance, the perfect Mac server. We use these things and so can you. Check it out. MacMiniColo.net slash 5 by 5 How are you doing, John? I'm doing fine, Dan. Hmm. What are you doing? I'm trying to get everything organized here. Trying and failing. Okay. Because I got a lot of stuff here. A lot of feedback. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, email. All right. Well, we're just going to have to give it a go here. All right. I'm game if you are. This is going to be a mess. Oh, boy. You're ready to help me. Save me from myself. (laughs) I I don't know if that's something one person alone can do. Maybe you're right. They take a small army of people working together for several years. (laughs) Special team. Yeah. Special teams, as they say in the NFL. Yeah, we'll talk about the NFL in the after dark if we have time. Oh, great. It's a big game this weekend. I know Uh you're you're a football fan one day a year. Uh, Barely, yeah. Barely one day a year or barely a fan? Barely a fan. I'm mostly trying to watch to see if there's good commercials. Well, you can watch a lot of those ahead of time. Yeah, no, that kind of ruins it for me. <laughs> I liked it when I was surprised, you know? Yeah, sure. All right, we better get going. Let's do it. I mean, the show already began. This is the show. That should be a name of, of some show you should make. It'd be called This Is The Show. This Is The Show. All right, let me make a note of that. It's a very good idea. This Is The Show. Yeah, because that's... Is that not copyrighted or anything? I don't know, but that's that's the question on... on on this show, on anything, is this the podcast? Are we doing it? Is this it? And you say, yeah, this is it. This is the show. Right. For once, you should just say, no, actually, this isn't the show. This is something totally different. Hmm. We haven't begun the show yet. I'll tell you when we begin the show. <laughs> All right. Follow-up. So we have a little bit of follow-up from uh, the stuff about iBooks author and education. Yeah. Actually, actually, we continue to have a lot of that, but I'm only going to put a, a little bit of it in here. Uh, I think on one of those podcasts I mentioned, I think it was in my sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for education thing, where I was talking about the, how important uh, several things were uh, above and beyond the materials. And one of them was the, the importance of good teachers. And I think I referenced the idea that good teachers can have a profound impact on the lives of students, which you agreed with, but I didn't have any sort of uh, link in the show notes for that, but there was something I had read about it, and after the podcast, someone sent it to me. Uh, it's a New York Times article. Uh, the title is Big Study Links Good Teachers to Lasting Gain. And it's a study that looked at 2.5 million students over 20 years, so it's a pretty broad study. And they showed that they had to find a way of, of qualifying like what counts as a good teacher, so they just said uh, elementary and middle school teachers who help raise their students' standardized test scores. Those are like the good teachers, right? 
And they said that those teachers had a lasting positive effect on those students' lives. They had you know, lower teen pregnancy. Uh, they graduated college more often. They made more money as adults, stuff like that. So there's a link to it in the show notes and you can uh, read all about it. Uh, another article I cited, I think it was on the second iBooks author show, was that article from McKay Thomas that we discussed. High schools are step one of two. Uh, we proposed the idea that uh, getting into high schools was a stepping stone to getting into colleges. And he presented a bunch of arguments. And then I talked about how that that would be a similar approach to how Apple was getting its stuff into the enterprise by sort of going through the executive back door and getting the employees and executives to want it, even not trying to convince the IT department directly. Well, many, many people sent feedback, basically disagreeing with McKay Thomas's blog post. Uh, I didn't respond to most of those simply because I didn't feel it was my place to just defend McKay Thomas's blog post. And I think these people should have written him and complained about the blog post that he wrote. Uh, but Apparently, he is very mistaken about, uh, according to the feedback I received, very mistaken about how easy it is to get into high schools versus how easy it is to get into college. I linked to one of the, one of the early articles about that from the ever-present Kieran Healy called No One Cares About the College Bookstore uh, that points out that basically the college bookstore stocks whatever the professors tell it to stock. And there's not sort of a cabal of college bookstores that have the power over the curriculum. If a college professor says he needs a particular book for a course, then the bookstore gets it and the students buy it. And the teacher has no idea what the profit margins are on that book or who sells it or anything like that. Um, versus public schools where, as I think I mentioned, and as many people uh, pointed out as if we didn't mention, we did talk about this, right? Like how getting books into public schools in the U.S. is this big bureaucracy full of crazy people. And, you know, the Texas... Uh, Board of Education is dictating textbook policy for the whole country because they're the biggest state. I, I could swear that we mentioned this, but maybe I just had it as an assumption in my head. Do you have any recollection? I don't remember. You want me to go and play back? No, it's, it's Roll right. back but the it, tape? Anyway, it, many people wrote us in to say, you know, just, it, you guys don't seem to understand that getting into public schools is really hard and there's these big boards and everything. I, I at least definitely did understand that. Uh, I think their complaint is that they think McKay Thomas is not taking that into account if he thinks that getting into high schools is a good way to do it. Uh, other people took a, uh, exception to what I said specifically about how who cares if you if you educate a generation of kids through high school and elementary school where they used to like books on their iPads. That's not going to change how colleges act because kid, the students have no influence over what textbooks are selected in colleges. Only professors do, uh, which is a little bit reductive. I mean, like, yes, they don't have it. The students don't directly pick their textbooks. But as I think I said on the show, if all your incoming students have an expectation of things being on the iPad and you don't offer it that way, then it's a competitive advantage to universities to not confound that expectations. You know, universities are competing for incoming freshmen. They want the smart, good freshmen, you know what I mean? Or, or maybe just the ones with lots of money or whatever. There's a competition for college students among colleges and colleges want to attract you to them, all colleges. And so if these stu incoming students are used to books on their iPad or electronic books or whatever, and then you make them buy textbooks, you're not going to look as cool to them as another school that does all their curriculum the way they've had it for their entire education. So yes, the students don't directly influence which books you, you know, how the, the textbooks work in a college, but they indirectly influence because they're basically the customer for this education and college co colleges in the U.S. are very competitive in, in attracting freshmen. So in case that wasn't obvious, that was the point that I was making. Um, oh, we talked about gamification in education and 
immediately after the podcast, I started getting some feedback on Twitter and email saying, you kept saying game theory. Is that really what you went? And I said, did I say game theory once or twice there? And then I listened to the podcast and I said game theory like 80 times. So as many people pointed out correctly, I'm not quite sure why I kept saying this. Game theory is different than using game design skills in in a different context, gamification, right? Game theory is a thing with mathematical models of of, uh, of conflict and and cooperation and it's it's a it's like if you've ever seen a beautiful mind this yeah it's what hit this was his big theory before he went nuts or maybe he was already debatably a little nuts but this is what his his whole thing was that it changed uh, the way people think about this but that's not what you were that's not what you were referring to yeah that's a totally different thing and and most people have no interaction with game theory in their regular lives except for the fact that they might have seen a beautiful mind and it gave that typical movie overview of the the uh you know what it's all about the are you implying that the way things are represented in movies is not completely accurate especially where science I, and math is concerned i think it was accurate enough to give you an idea of what game theory is not accurate enough to give you an idea of what this guy's particular idea was or why it was revolutionary or whatever uh but yes that's not what i was talking about but i kept saying game theory and i guess it's because i don't have a good word for like you know other than using the word gamification again i kept saying like using game theory to help make learning better blah 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 you're not using game you're not using the ability to calculate to to analyze the circumstances of a game and calculate possible outcomes and you know <laughs> it's not that it's not game theory very clearly so all the people who sent in that correction about game theory they're right i should have used the word gamification or talked about uh using game design techniques in education uh or other uh, applied game design a suggestion from the from the chat room that's better applied game design is better than game theory so i apologize for incorrectly using game theory many times if you want to learn about what actual game theory is uh spoiler alert it's math and if you don't like math you probably won't like game theory but you might like gamification don't you mean maths plural mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> was that a sling sling blade thing you just did yeah hey, you know i've been doing that long before that movie came out i've actually never seen that movie but i have seen the many clips that involve type of thing mm-hmm. uh so one final piece before we get to the inevitable heavyweight uh follow-up okay so the other thing i wanted to talk about was i, I listened to uh marco's uh, last episode of build to analyze it was number 62 frustrated by the invisible person <laughs> where he uh <laughs> yes. talks extensively about the nest thermostat right I, li- I like to the podcast i should i link to the nest thermostat too it's uh, just nest.com they're, they're not a sponsor. No. Um, and maybe we'll never be after listening to that episode. <laughs> yeah. And, and I pretty much agree with everything he said there, but... Have you used I, one? Do you have one? Well, I think I skipped all of the part where he, that he re- retold about buying the thing and trying to hook it up and finding out that it's not what he wants. I skipped right to the end part where when I, when I saw the NS thermostat, I went to the website, watched a little video, and... I understood what they were trying to do and quickly surmised that it's not for me. Right. So I skipped that middle part where you get all frustrated and buy them and hook them up to your house. I also, I also skipped that part. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I wanted to do is just summarize the, uh, the issue here is when I, when I looked at the Nest thermostat, I saw that what, what they were doing, what this product was doing was, you know, they saw the problem that thermostats, programmable thermostats exist, but they're hard to program. Right. And rather than making a thermostat that was easy to program, uh, you know, so thermostats are hard to program. I'm going to make a startup. I'm going to make thermostats that are really easy to program. 
their solution was to bypass that and say, let's think outside the box. How about a thermostat that you don't have to program? There's no programming. Like, that's that's what they were trying to do. Like, not make your VCR easier to program. Like, to use the old example of, you know, people bought VCRs. <laughs> right, with the 12 and, always flashing on the screen. Yeah, and how many people even knew how to set it to record something, right? And the solution, to, to, you know, the next solution to that is, well, how about we make it so, you, you know, you don't have to program it at all. There's no programming. Like, and what, what people consider to be programming. You know, people know how to turn the dial to make the temperature the temperature they want it to be. Right. They know how to turn it one direction when they're cold and the other <laughs> direction when they're hot. <laughs> and we want that to be the only skill is required of the users of our product. But we also want it to have the, the typical advantages of a programmable thermostat and that you save energy by not putting the heat on when you're not in the house and stuff like that. So I think that's a pretty interesting or good idea it's interesting and in they're not trying to improve programmability by like oh making a cool web interface to, for programmability where you could slide these sliders around and look at these graphs that would be one way to go and i bet there are products like that out there they said we are going to assume that the current level of thermostat using skill in the general population is unchangeable pretty much and that all we can rely on is the fact that they know how to turn the dial to make themselves feel better and we're going to use that input to try to surmise what it is they would really like if they actually knew how to program a thing, but they don't. Uh, and the key to understanding why this product may not be for you is ask yourself the question, do I know how to program my thermostat? And the second question, have I programmed my thermostat? If the answer to both those questions is yes, you probably don't need Nest. Uh, and not only do you not need it, but you will be angered and frustrated. Yeah, you may become furious at it. Yeah, simply because like, the problem it's solving, you don't have. Now, there's this other problem, which is probably why Marco bought it. Your other problem is my thermostat is ugly. But that's a very different problem. You know what I mean? This thermostat is not ugly. It's cool looking. And if you like how it looks, he bought it and he solved the problem of uh, I have an ugly thermostat or uh, the potential thermostats in my buy are ugly. But the main problem Ness is trying to solve is the one where you can't program your thermostat or you don't program your thermostat. So... I think that's uh, that's kind of ships passing in the night. Maybe maybe the, the next people have like an untapped market of like seven Uber nerds who are willing to spend lots of money for a really cool looking thermostat that is nevertheless just a boring traditional programmable thermostat. So they could sell that to Marco in a second. Perhaps they should consider that. Nest, the learning thermostat. And also Nest, the non-learning but still cool looking thermostat. It's a mouthful for a slogan. All right. Hey, well, go. one thing one thing I want to add, and I'm right, not speaking right. for Marco here. I'm just saying that uh, his at the end of it, what what he was kind of saying was he really does like the things that you identified that as as being nice, which is it's very attractive. It uh, it looks really cool. There's tons of benefits of like he can update it from his iPhone or whatever and say, oh, man, we're on vacation. We forgot to change the thermostat. You can change it remotely. All this great stuff that it does. He wishes that they just had everything that it had except the part where it tries to learn and figure out what you want to do. And, yeah, and except just, for the flagship feature. Right. The flagship. Fe- <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that's funny. But there really isn't a good way to override the flagship feature because that's what, but I think, and I think this is, I've thought about it a lot since uh, he and I recorded that. It seems to me that yes, that is the flagship feature, but maybe it shouldn't be because I would love to get these things for my house, but same as you, I, I 
I don't want it to learn about my habits. Yeah, you know how to program. I know, I know how to tell it what I want. And, and in fact, I'd be fine just when I want a little cooler, just turn the dial and make it cooler. That's enough for me. Um, but of course it doesn't, it doesn't do that. I don't, I don't know if they'll ever come out with anything, but what he did basically say is that he likes it. He just doesn't, he just doesn't feel that it's ready to go yet completely. It's not exactly, you know, there's still some bugs even in doing what it is doing, but if they were to come out with an update that, that made it, you could just say, don't be so smart, be dumb, that it would be an amazing product. You know what the kids call that these days? No. The pivot. The pivot. The startup where you do the pivot. Oh. Where you realize the thing you were making. Like right. You learn, you know, learning thermostats. Turns out that's not such a great idea because really the world is cut into to two camps. Uh, people who want to be able to program it and people who don't care about that. And right. so if we just simply made, for example, let's do the pivot and say, we're going to make the same kind of cool thermostat with all these cool features. But instead of trying to take away programming, we're going to change our tack and concentrate on making programming it so easy that anybody can do it. But we won't, we're not going to limit them to say, and all they know how to do is turn the temperature to the temperature they want, like a monkey, and we'll try to figure out what the heck yeah. they meant by that. Like when they come in the room at, at 6.25 a.m. and turn the temperature up to, you know, 68 degrees, we will surmise, uh-huh, it appears that they want the temperature to be, uh, you know, and this is assume, how I assume Nest is working. It appears they want the temperature to be 68 degrees at 625. Well, in order to do that, I've determined that I have to turn the heat on at, at you know, 548 to get it up to that, you know. Like, it's trying to be smart and failing. And as you discussed at length, that's that's frustrating. So they can do the pivot and say, we've, we've learned this is not such a great idea. And we're going to, you know, don't be too ashamed to say, don't stick to your guns and say, oh, we, well, our whole idea is to take away programming entirely. If that doesn't work out, just say, okay, now our new idea is to make a really cool-looking thermostat with lots of cool features that's easy enough to program. It's easier to program than those annoying ones with the little, you know, LCD displays that... Right. And you know what? And I think I think most human beings are used to the concept of saying, at this time of day, you know, because most of us who own homes have... I don't know about up there where you are, but a, a lot of us have irrigation systems. So we're very used to the concept of saying, on this day at this time, do this. And that's pretty straightforward. And it's the same way we program our TiVos or our VCRs. And yeah, they're connected to a show. But, you know, it, it's not that weird to go and program a light timer to say, yeah, it's 7 p.m., turn on. 10 p.m., turn off. Yeah. And I and think is- if, if, this, if this device, if this Nest just made it easier and more elegant to do that thing, to make it a simple way to say, yeah, now when I want to change the time that it comes on at this temperature, I just twist a dial. I don't have to hit 20 different buttons and switch different modes. Like just make it better, make the experience of doing what we're already doing better instead of kind of taking away the control that we have. Yeah. And I think it remains to be seen whether, whether they need to pivot because just because people like Marco are upset by it doesn't mean that it won't still find its audience. So we'll see. But now I have to get to Wikipedia. Which is our big follow-up. For yeah, big follow-up. Big follow-up. Lots of lots of feedback. Woo! At, at the beginning, like my normal feedback thing that I do is for emails that I get, I have a label in Gmail, and uh, and I star the ones that I think I'm going to want to follow up on directly. But the number of stars quickly got to the point where I says, you know, it's the the princess bride thing. You know, uh, no, there is too much. Let me sum up. I, I can't go through individual emails and address the individual points because it would take 17 shows. So I'm going to try to group the feedback into themes, and then I'm going to use one particular piece of feedback as kind of a stand-in for many others. So if you wrote in uh, with 
feedback. Rest assured that I read every single piece of feedback that comes either directly to me or through that form. Just because we don't cite you directly or by name on the air doesn't mean we didn't read you. And just because I don't reply to you doesn't mean I didn't read it and absorb it. But there's a certain point you just, you know, you can't. Uh, so don't feel like I'm ignoring your point, even if we do uh, skip over, because I may get to it in a future show. But I, I have to lump this together. So the first theme for the feedback, uh, which is a, a boring one, but it's it was there, uh, was people sharing similar stories about uh, their encounters with Wikipedia. And these are probably the same people who are tweeting, listening to the show and saying, you know, uh, positive things like write on or, you know, it, it, that's exactly what I think about Wikipedia. So th they're sharing stories where they'll say, I you know, jumped onto Wikipedia and I tried to do something and I was repelled by the similar things. And they, they like, of course, hearing someone else echo their same experiences in a wider venue. Um, so the, the person whose feedback I'm going to use as sort of a, a guide through this section here, I wish I had looked up how to pronounce his name. Mm. It's William Butler, B-U-T-L-E-R. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm citing his article in, in the, both this section and in the other sections where we talk about uh, more negative things. Uh, and so one of the things that he wrote, quote, he wrote a blog post about this is why I'm uh, putting it up is because his his uh, feedback was public. And so I can put it in the show notes and everybody can read it rather than me trying to retell the emails that people sent us uh, individually. Uh, so he agrees on this this positive feedback thing. He says, and um, by the way, his his website is called like the Wikipedian. No, something like that. Is it the Wikipedian. Let's see. This shows how unprepared I am. I didn't even have the show notes open. Uh, you're doing yes, you're the, doing a good job, though. The Wikipedian. So clearly, he's coming from you know what perspective he's coming from. <laughs> right, William, William Butler on on Wikipedia. He has some uh, vague familiarity with Wikipedia. Right. And early on in the article, he says many people try to get involved with Wikipedia who have no idea what it's really about, and they tend to have really a really bad experience. Wikipedia struggles to explain itself to outsiders, and probably always will. So I think there's universal consensus on the the shared experience of trying to participate in Wikipedia and bouncing off of it. And by far, that was the, the, the theme behind the vast majority of the positive feedback, whether it's, you know, direct emails or Twitter things or people, you know, just saying nice things about the podcast that they were hearing me tell a story that was similar to their experience. And I think a lot of the positive feedback also comes from the fact that in in forums that are not specifically about Wikipedia, like this podcast is not specifically about Wikipedia, you rarely hear people saying anything but good things about Wikipedia, including, you know, like on here, I've linked to Wikipedia like crazy in the show notes. And I, I, as I think I said on the show, I love that it exists. And it's often the only place you can find any kind of link like that. Uh, and we rely on it all the time. You very rarely hear negative things about Wikipedia outside of sort of the Wiki, the circle of Wikipedia. So I think all these people who weren't involved with Wikipedia, but had just tried to participate in it and bounced off, finally felt like some vindication that is, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the crazy one. That Everyone says Wikipedia is great, but I have this bad experience. And a Wikipedian here also saying the same thing. Yes, this is a real phenomenon. It happens. Um, now, I want to add that, and this is not something that, that uh, William added. I'm going to keep calling William because I don't want to keep trying to pronounce his last name. Uh, that he didn't say this, but I'm going to say it. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The fact that people try to participate in Wikipedia and and uh, don't ha don't understand it and have a bad experience, uh, and then decide not to do it. You know, you Wikipedia, I assume, or any institution, wants people to get involved in it who are on board with this mission. 
You know what I mean? So if you think, you know, if you get involved with it and find out, but this isn't really what I want. Well, you know, like they want the people who are are gung ho on Wikipedia and learn about it and say, yeah, that's exactly what I get want to get involved in. And you don't need every single person in the entire world to participate in Wikipedia. You just want the best people. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I'm not saying this as if it's some sort of negative and it shows see how bad Wikipedia is. People try to participate in it and then they they run away screaming. Uh, that may be a neutral thing, but it is it is a phenomenon. Uh, and uh, that was one part of what was expressed on our, our last episode when I discussed Wikipedia. Um, the other thing is that uh, Wikipedia, of course, expects newbies to come in, people who don't understand anything about Wikipedia, and they and they do want to indoctrinate new people and say you keep keep you know fresh blood in the project. You want to get people up to speed and stuff like that. And I think uh, Chadwick Severin was the first person to point this up that. Uh, we discussed gamification education. Wikipedia uses a similar form of gamification in its structure. So there are there are levels to Wikipedia where you come in and you start out as an editor and then later you become an administrator and then you become a bureaucrat and then an arbitrator. That's their, their sort of leveling system, right? Uh, and apparently there's something that's very similar to badges or like achievements on people's user profiles. Something and, like uh, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention. I don't know what this is. I didn't have time to look it up, but... Wick also points out in his, his estimation that uh, Wikipedia has a virtual currency as well, and that's the number of edits you have. I'm not involved enough in the system to know if that's an accurate representation of would you consider that the virtual currency. Uh, but definitely you can tell that, that Wikipedia and most sort of like groups or online systems uh, do employ gamification uh, uh, in some way to help make participation more attractive. So I think Wikipedia does want new people to come in and does want them to get enthused for about the project and level up and go through it. And there is a learning process. Uh, but it's also true that uh, many people, uh, you know, d are, are repelled by Wikipedia rather than attracted when they attempt to participate. And I think there's so many of these similar stories because uh, of something that uh, I also talked about in the last show is that there's a mismatch between what Wikipedia is and what people think it is. That was kind of one of the main reasons I brought up the topic at all, topic at all because I, my, my impression was that my experience where I didn't understand it is similar to other people's. It's not, it's not so much that they decide not to participate because they know Wikipedia is not for them. They think it's for them. They, th they think they know what Wikipedia is. And they said, yeah, Wikipedia is that thing where everyone writes down stuff. And, uh, and I, I, th I have stuff to contribute to that. And let me try it. And then when they learn what it actually is, they're, you know, it's two things at once. It's the fact that they don't like what it is and the fact that it, what it is is not what they thought it was. And those two combine very quickly to make, you know, to, as a repulsive force to, to make you go away. Oh, you know, wait, wait a second. This isn't, this is what I thought I was signing up for, you know. Uh, again, uh, William saying that Syracuse correctly observes Wikipedia is not a place where you can write, write down stuff that you know. Wikipedia writes about other people writing about things. And I, I really do feel that that's not what most people think Wikipedia is. That's why I started the last show asking what Wikipedia was. That they just re this, I mean, maybe if you were to present it to them in the right way, they would agree with it. But if you just ask them to come, what do you think Wikipedia is? They think of it as a place where pe smart people go to write stuff that they know. Or people with knowledge put their knowledge. But that's, that's not what it is, right? And that, that big mismatch is what I think forms this whole repulsive problem. Um, and that gets to mostly the, the heart of my complaint. And I, I think we sort of came to it in a roundabout way in the last show, but it's the, the, my complaint is that Wikipedia is a tertiary source. I mean, it's not, you know, 
and, and that I would like to allow the direct contribution of knowledge. In other words, I want I would rather it be the thing that everyone thinks it is. Um, and so the question is, why? Uh, why do you why do I not? Why do I want it to be that thing that everyone thinks is? Well, one reason, obviously, is that I think, it, you know, there would be more participation because this is what most people think it is. And when they're shocked to, to find out the difference, uh, that it's something different, then they don't, uh, they're not interested in contributing or they have a bad experience or it frustrates them. And that limits the number of people who, con who contribute. And again, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. It depends on how many people you want to contribute. But I like the idea of more people contributing. Um, so why, why do I want it to be something different? Uh, the reason for that is tied up in lots of different aspects of the problem. That's why it's hard to talk about it in a clear way. And we went off on many different tangents last show. Uh, but sort of broadly speaking, my, the reason I want it to be different is that people who want to contribute to knowledge to Wikipedia are thwarted in the, in, in, uh, currently. And they're thwarted by several different things. They're thwarted by first expecting to be able to write down what they know, like the misunderstanding of what Wikipedia is, not understanding as a tertiary source, not understanding this is where you where you record knowledge that you have. Um, they're thwarted by the notability thing, which we touched on the last show, but I think maybe I, it deserved more emphasis that there's a topic where a whole bunch of people want to make some sort of public record of. And uh, they are uh, upset to learn that the fact that a whole bunch of people want to make a public record of this is not sufficient for it to be deemed important enough to be included in Wikipedia. So notability and the deletionist type of thing. And then finally, there's the rules lawyering by people with opposing views. Like if you're, ta if you're talking about some issue that has, uh, you know, opposing views on one side or the other, even if you're not doing advocacy at all, the fact that you're just trying to, if, if the issue is like has inherently has some sort of advocacy in it or is contentious in any way, if the people who, who are on the opposite side of the, the debate from you uh, know the system better than you do, they can use the things that we, they can use those things that uh, both of the things we just talked about, the, the, the fact that it's tertiary source and the notability requirements and everything else, they can use that to prevent you from contributing your knowledge. And these are the things that I don't like about it, that, that, that I want someplace where everybody can put all their knowledge and it's more inclusive and more and more able to accept the input from people who want to provide it and less sort of less elitist and less, uh, less constrained. Um, so that was the heart of what I was talking about. The heart of most listener complaints uh, from both Wikipedians and non-Wikipedians non was how can that possibly work? How can that's that's swell and all you've identified instances where people are frustrated with Wikipedia and you say you wish it was this different thing. But how can that different thing possibly work? Uh, you know, it, it, I, I think the well, before I get into the, the specifics of the complaints, that's that's kind of the shape of of the the feedback, I think, was that was the, the main thing that I was saying. And then. There are many different ways to express the idea that the things that I wanted uh, sound good in theory, but in practice are not feasible. And therefore, like, it, it's kind of like saying, well, many people actually, some people use this exact example. Well, democracy is the worst system of government except for all the other ones. Like, the, yeah, it's got lots of problems and it's bad and it's very easy to point out the problems, but what can you do? It's the best thing that we have. Uh, and that gets all tied up into the, into my, where's your better movie thing where 
I like to be able to complain about something without being told that I have to have the solution to it. But in this case, I don't think that's the same that that applies 100% because the heart of my complaint is that I think it could be better if done differently. So I think that there is some requirement to at least express uh, why the things are bad and what the possible alternatives could be. especially with something as successful as Wikipedia. And many people want to know about that. And we will get to it, uh, that eventually. Um, but a lot of people got tied up in knots in their feedback, assuming that what I'm suggesting by implication, if not explicitly, is taking Wikipedia and changing its rules. And so if you, if you take the existing Wikipedia and remove, for example, verifiability and allowing direct contribution, allowing original research, it's very easy to see that that would be a mess. And that's what many people point out. So, well, you can't, you know, that, that, that wouldn't work, right? And it's kind of the case where the existence of a successful entity in this space, the existence of Wikipedia as this big thing and this institution pins in the thinking about this entire issue. It's kind of like when the iPhone comes out and, and it, the entire thing is made of a screen. Suddenly, that sort of draws the borders of what the future of phones is. And everybody else starts thinking about, all right, well, obviously we're going to have a big rectangular thing with the screen. And then, uh, and the only place we can make different decisions is what's on that screen. How many buttons do we have? You know what I mean? Whereas before the iPhone phones look like all sorts of crazy things. So the, the success of the iPhone has sort of hemmed in the thinking of all the other phone makers for, for good or for ill. It's, you know, it's a fact and, and they are working within that framework. Now, well, I think Wikipedia defines the framework for a, a collaborative collection of knowledge. And so anytime anyone wants to think about that issue at all, like, for example, when I was saying you should allow direct contributions and these people shouldn't be kept from, from doing what they're doing, uh, uh, you say, well, you, you know, and, and ver- verifiability over truth and stuff like that. So, well, they immediately think of Wikipedia and they remove the requirement for verifiability and then they extrapolate and they see well, that doesn't work. It's chaos. It's, you know, it becomes a 4chan it's just there's no it's not it's not it's not useful anymore right? right so now finally i'm going to walk through uh this article by william butler on his uh blog the wikipedian all right before before you walk through let's do our first sponsor we've been talking for 30 minutes and uh we've we've got to get him in because it's it's a cool sponsor you'll approve of this sponsor i wish you would in fact i wish you would use this sponsor Personally, okay. you, John, sir, I wish you would use it. It's FreshBooks. Right. FreshBooks.com. Painless billing. Now, they came up with that. Sounds like something I would say, but they, they did that on their own. So this is this is what they're about. They're, it's the fastest way to track time, organize expenses, invoice your clients, uh, let you focus on your work, not your paperwork. You know? So when you invoice somebody, what do you do right now? You fire up pages. You fire up Word. You, you type it into an email. And then you, you, you immediately lose track of that. What happened to that? Did I send it? Did, were they able to open it? I don't know. They say they never got it. Did they? Did they get it? And just not pay? This happens all the time. If FreshBooks eliminates that. You create it. They handle sending it. They send out a special private URL to the person. You see in their list, did they read it? Yes, they did. They received it. You can see that it was sent. You can see that it was received. You can see that they viewed it. If they pay you with PayPal or something like that, and this supports all kinds of payment gateways, then it'll show as paid right there. You know that they've paid it. If not, they send you a check. You just go in, click the box. It's marked as paid. It's great, but they do a lot more than that. They do a whole lot more than 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 just that. I mean, they've got 
uh, aside from the online payments, they have all the built-in follow-up stuff, the professional invoicing. They let you pull your time and expenses into your invoices and break it all out. It's got time tracking. You can invoice in different currencies. I mean, it, tons of they even have a thing where you can print out the invoice and mail it if these people you're dealing with people who don't know what email is. They've thought of everything. Real human beings answer the phone when you call or send an email. Uh, these guys are great. New thing that they have going now, which I just want to take an extra second and tell you about because this is really cool. It used to be you'd sign up and you just it basically just be you. You could be you and three clients and you could use it like that. And you can still do that. They've still got that free plan thing tucked away. But this is what they have now for the first 30 days. Okay, you can have unlimited team members, staff members using it, tracking time, sending invoices for you, everything. Unlimited, unlimited clients. Now that ends after 30 days, they scale you back down. But the, the, you get to really use this the way you would really use it in the enterprise. I love these guys. Long-time sponsor of us. If you, if you do anything with time tracking or sending invoices, you need to check out FreshBooks.com. Thanks very much to them for uh, making the show possible. I want you to start using it too, John. You don't it, like my beautiful handmade invoices? I do like that your personal signature is on them. That's a very nice touch. That's something I believe you could probably do with this too. But no, because if you invoice me with FreshBooks, I get it right in my own system and I can pay it right through the system. Anyway. Just an idea. I'm just planting seed. All right. You, you just planting a there. seed. Okay. All right. Let's walk through this. Yeah. So th- this article, the title of this article is Verifiability and Truth. What John Syracuse doesn't get about Wikipedia. So a very provocative title. Good, good <laughs> makes you want to, at least makes you want to read it. Yeah. I like the site design too. Like the, <laughs> it's very, very clean. I like the, the font choices and everything. Uh, all right. So here's a, here's a section from this. It's a very long article and it has a, uh, Lots of stuff in it. Uh, some stuff I agree with, some stuff I don't. We'll go through some of it here. He's, and, and in case you didn't guess, I'm using him as a stand-in for all the negative feedback. Right. Because it's mostly what his point is, as the title suggests. Um, so he's, he's talking about what I said on the podcast. By privileging truth above verifiability, both of these are in quotes, one gets the impression that he is describing a Rashomon-like Wikipedia where all possible viewpoints are explored and somehow eventually Wikipedia just makes the right call. This assumes a lot, not, not least that contentious topics would sim- wouldn't simply devolve into edit wars of unchecked aggression. In a world where Wikipedia <laughs> aims for truth but eschews veri- verifiability, there are no footholds upon which a steady, uh, to steady an argument. There is no way to know what should be considered credible or otherwise. So that, I think, is a nice summary of uh, listener feedback uh, about my idea of not having Wikipedia be a tertiary source. Now, first I want to point out that the framing is still there. Right, uh, a Rashomon like Wikipedia, where all viewpoints are explored. So it's a it's a descriptive modifier, Wikipedia. You know, somehow eventually Wikipedia would just make the right call. It's a, it's the assumption that you have Wikipedia, but it's modified. All right, and we'll get we'll get to that more later. But I just want to say that that's inherent in the discussion of this topic is that we're assuming that we're talking about the institution of Wikipedia and what we're talking about are modifications to it, and here's why they won't work. You know, and it's always like. In a world where Wikipedia aims for truth, which is what I was talking about, I thought truth should be the number one. But but issues is it issues e s i like yeah I'm good let's go with that I love it yeah I don't know how to pronounce it you know the works no it's that you're doing it right but issues verifiability there are no footholds upon which to steady an argument which I think is nicely written so here's one thing that apparently I didn't make clear I didn't mean to suggest that citations should not exist. 
And uh, what all I wanted was that truth be the ultimate goal. Now, this obviously is a loaded question. And I kept circling back to it uh, and waffling to say, well, you know, so then what is truth? Truth is a loaded word. Uh, uh, what's how can you even discuss this issue? I didn't just didn't like the fact that the the, uh, the goal was truth, not verifiability. But it didn't say. And by the way, you're not even allowed to cite sources. There's no citations allowed, no verification allowed. Right. Uh, of course, in uh, in uh, the scenario that I'm imagining, uh, citations would still exist and be encouraged, but there would simply be other ways to contribute. In other words, it wouldn't strictly be a tertiary source. And that opens the door to other ways to contribute besides citing something that was written in a, in a reliable source, so on and so forth. doesn't mean you can't use citations. doesn't mean you can't be, do things that would, would be valid in Wikipedia, you know? Uh, and in fact, I imagine that would still be the majority of, uh, of content. The feedback on pronunciation is s chew like the letter s and the word chew so i was close i just have trouble saying that word <laughs> all right uh now this gets into a sidetrack that uh, that i want to talk about verifiability uh, first i think that's that's a loaded word all right so here's the section from the uh uh the uh, williams blog post on it uh, he was discussing the fact that I had said that Wikipedia seemed to be pref- seemed to prefer paper sources and old world things and the, the rules of sort of the bygone era that, that defined, you know, the very fact that they want to be a tertiary source because that's what encyclopedias are. And the fact that encyclopedias were important and they think they're the new encyclopedias. So they adopt, they they're used as a springboard, the starting point of like, well, what is an encyclopedia? We're going to be a new version of that, right? Uh, but specifically, I talked about... Uh, preferring paper magazines to online, even when online gets more traffic and all the stuff like that. So he says that he hopes that, uh, that I don't, uh, that hopes that uh, John Syracuse doesn't actually think that Wikipedia editors prefer paper. If anything, they actually prefer online sources, which are easier to check. But he completely misses a key dynamic that ties back to verifiability. The paper magazine with poor circulation at least will have editors who are presumed to care about fact-checking and accuracy. A web forum, however popular it may be, uh, it may have moderators, but that's not the same thing as having an editor. A discussion group is not an editorial operation, period. The forum uh, is a primary source and so should only be used to support reliable sources. Right? Um, so there are uh, a couple of issues with this passage. As he kind of gets to at the end, the, the specific example of FTFF was a case where, as he notes, the forum was a primary source. The forum, web forum wasn't reporting on a topic. So as far as I'm concerned, it, it doesn't matter that they have no editorial oversight in a web forum because they're the primary source. They are the people discussing a topic. And the many different web forums are like, well, here's some people talking about this. Here's some, you know, If you're going to show that a term has, become, has gone into widespread use within the Apple community, citing 17 different Apple forums on a whole bunch of different websites and citing back to the original Apple forum where this term came from is a way to support your argument, right? Uh, but that's original research. If you're hopping around to 10 different forums and finding lots of instances of where this word is, you are becoming a secondary source. You could use that to write an article for your publication to say, uh, you know, I'm, you know, a reliable, considered a reliable source in the Mac community and I'm going to write for Macworld magazine or something and I'm going to write an article about uh, you know, dissatisfaction with the Mac OS X Finder, and in it, I'm going to reference this term, and I'm going to cite the fact that it has appeared in X, Y, and Z form or whatever, right? But were you to do that directly in Wikipedia, that they would say, you know, well, we would prefer to be a tertiary source, so you shouldn't be doing original research and then writing down the results of your research on a Wikipedia page. Um, let's see where we are here. Uh, so the second point on this thing is the the bit where he says, 
the paper magazine with poor circulation at least will have editors who are presumed to care about fact-checking and accuracy. And it's the presumed to care about business that was getting my uh, dander up about <laughs> how how uh, Wikipedia was just a, uh, you know, built on a house of sand and it was just one giant uh, appeal to authority uh, fallacy. And we'll get more uh, we'll get to appeal to authority more later. Uh, so, for instance, New York Times and Wall Street Journal are presumed to be reliable sources, you know. And it, it's kind of like the, the appeal to authority is, you know, they've said things in the past that have been correct. They said this new thing. Therefore, this new thing is probably correct because in the past, this publication has been correct, right? And for things like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, so like there are things that we all that, that have like unassailable authority where no one is questioning, where did you see that? Did you see it in some random blog on some Tumblr thing? Or, no, I saw it in the New York Times, right? And that lends a weight to that content because this institution has a history of fact-checking and they have rigorous, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're like, you're not, you don't have to prove that. There's like a history behind it and it lends weight to the content. And uh, on the flip side of that is, you know, like I said, it's just some random person's blog or something like that, where even before you can sit, you, you have to have some way to to decide whether this information is reliable, right? Uh, the, the tricky bit about the word verification is and verified and verifiability is that it's not, I don't think it's the right word. They need some word to ca- encapsulate this statement, but I'm not sure verified is the word because verified is like conclusive. You know what I mean? Like, uh, is that definitive? Verifiable. Now, in the, the, the concept, I think the correct concept, uh, it may actually be the right word, just people are taking it the wrong way. When they say verifiability, they're not saying verify that this statement is true. They're saying verify that this institution that we trust actually said this. That's my guess, maybe. Because obviously it's not just because the New York Times prints it, that doesn't make it true. I mean, no one's going to say that. You're not verifying the fact. They print something and says, is that true or not? Well, it's verified. The New York Times printed it. All you verified is that the New York Times printed it. And then by extension, you've had this set, this this culture and the set of rules that says, and if the New York Times printed it, we're able to cite it. And if it's cited, it's verifiably cited. Therefore, it is, uh, it is you know, it can be included in this Wikipedia page because then Wikipedia is not about the pursuit of truth. They just merely want to say, we can show that, you know, where is your evidence to support this? Well, New York Times said this, and this person says that, and this person says that, and we're a tertiary source, and that's what we do. We show you these people say that, and these people say that, and these people say that, and we cite everything that we say. We explain the topic, and people say, well, how do you know that? Why, you know, citation needed? Where are you getting that information? Well, I got that information from reading this New York Times article, and here's a citation. Uh, but verified doesn't mean that it's true. And so lots of people are saying, how can you have something with, without verification? How will you know if anything's true? Well, how do you know if anything's true with verification? Verification doesn't mean that it's true. That's the, the difficult thing about this truth concept is that it all, it all decides on what, what you consider is an, an appropriate threshold. They say, well, without verifiability, it's just chaos. Well, you have verifiability now, and I don't think that really gets you any closer to truth. As someone in, in the, in the uh, chat room has repeatedly said, verifiability is achievable. And Wikipedia is trying to use something that they can actually achieve. They don't want to set a goal they can't achieve. They're never going to get the truth because, you know, what is truth? Uh, so they say, well, we're not going to set that as our goal. We're going to set our goal as verifiability. And I think Wikipedians, you know, do and have acknowledged that there are many problems with, uh, with, with the threshold being verifiability. But, it, you know, again, like democracy, it's like, well, is it the best, you know, it's the best system we have except for all the others. Um, <laughs> So we will talk more about that eventually, but I just want to uh, continue exploring this. Um, 
So the presumed to care thing is like, uh, that's, that kind of rubs you the wrong way, especially since, uh, as many people have pointed out to me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I assume that it is, well, Wikipedia has come a long way in its policies on what is considered a, a reliable source. Uh, or as it used to be more hostile to online things and has starting, started to come around a little bit in recent years. So many people said, well, when you had this bad experience with, uh, with FTFF and stuff like that, the, 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 you know, the rules are not hard and fast. It's all guidelines. And the consensus among the Wikipedians has been shifting to be more permissive rather than less, uh, which I imagine uh, probably is true. Um, but for verified, a better word might be like cited, you know, it, you can't have a Wikipedia, you know, you can't put information on Wikipedia that's not cited. If you say you can't put information on Wikipedia that's not verified, it makes it seem like, well, you can't put in stuff that's not true and verified stuff is true. Am I crazy for this, making this connection? No. In my head? It, like, no, it, it, it makes sense to me. I see where you're going with it. And everyone who talks about it wants to talk about ver- it's verified. Like, you know, your voice is your passport. Oh, it's verified. <laughs> you know, it's not... But I, it's much better to say it's cited because that that is like you know cited just means you you have you have created a record of someone else saying. Right. This you're kind something. of saying there is no such thing truly as as verified. You're saying that people can go out there and say this is where I got my information from and where I got it from is a legitimate source. Right, and well, the, that second thing is an implication. It's not explicitly stated because you can't. It would be exhausting to keep saying that. You're just saying like here's the citation. And this thing stands if the citation is is one of the valid things that I'm allowed to cite in mm-hmm. this in this forum. Uh, and I think most of the listener complaints tended to very quickly construct a straw man of Wikipedia, quote unquote, without any verification, which, of course, sounds crazy. Right. Uh, or Wikipedia without any citations like you just write whatever the hell you want. And somehow uh, like it's supposed to converge on goodness. Right. So before I delve further into the where's your movie side of this thing uh just to recap what my main complaint is that wikipedia is a tertiary source and i wanted to allow the direct contribution of knowledge i didn't i don't like it when people with knowledge are unable to contribute and that is a common phenomenon that people go there thinking this is the place where people with knowledge pull it together and that's not what it is uh and furthermore, I don't think the rules that prevent them from doing that, the many, many different rules, which all of which have important justifications, I don't think those are strictly necessary to have a useful, successful repository of shared knowledge uh, on the net. Now, I did eventually, uh, I was trying so hard to avoid, as I usually do, putting myself on the line for having to come up with a better thing. But eventually it, it devolved into that and became, as, as William points out, a slightly incoherent rant towards the end. And I apologize for that. But we'll try to do better this time. So this this concludes the portion where I'm trying to resummarize the previous podcast in a in a in a better manner. I hope I've done a better job, although you do definitely need to listen to the previous podcast for any of this to make sense. Uh, but now I would like to actually discuss. So how would how would this work if you think that the current rules are not ideal uh, and not strictly necessary? That, that it is possible to have something that functions as well or better than Wikipedia with a different set of rules. What are those rules? Uh, and let, let's discuss them. And I'll start by saying I don't have all the answers. I don't have a, a five-point plan or a 999 plan or anything <laughs> like that, that tells you this is how you replace Wikipedia and this is this awesome thing. Uh, m- mostly what I have, uh, you know, and mostly my point in, in the previous show was to more or less s- spread. I mean, many Wikipedians wrote in to say that they appreciated the fact that I was spreading, you know, uh, 
spreading more information about what Wikipedia actually is, because I think they want people to understand what it is and they want people to be on board with this mission and not to misunderstand it and come and be frustrated by the experience. Uh, and, I, and by the way, a sidebar on Wikipedians, I should have known, like I was expecting all sorts of angry email and everything uh, because I'm not involved in the Wikipedia world deeply. And anytime anyone rants about anything that they're not deeply involved in, inevitably they're going to get things wrong. And I did. And, and, you know, just uh, overreach and anger the people who know more. That's a common phenomenon. Uh, I'm much safer ranting about things that I have more knowledge of than I expect the average listener. But as I said, if there are Wikipedians listening, of course, they're going to know way more than I do. And I expected they're all going to come and flame me. But I should have known better because to be a successful Wikipedian requires a certain, I don't want to say detachment, but a certain surrendering of your more base impulses. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you won't be... A, you won't be a successful Wikipedian if you, you know, if you can't maintain okay. perspective, right? right? And that, I mean, so Wikipedia, I think, tends to attract people who, not, I'm going to say, you know, D&D &D rules lawyers, but people who like, like to have a structure and like to make things conform to that structure and are not emotionally invested in the content, but can be emotionally invested in the structure. But, I mean, basically, they're kind of a chill group of people, is what I'm saying. Okay. So, all of them who wrote in and wrote blog posts and everything were just so nice and polite and uh, very deferential. And there was no, like, like if I had something said something that wasn't nice about, like, I don't know, I can't think of a controversial topic off my head. But, like, lots of tech topics that if I had done a similar podcast about, I would have been getting hate mail telling me that they're going to find me and murder me. And that, you know, questioning my parentage and all sorts of horrible, terrible things that people say on the net none of that for this wikipedia thing so because that's just not the that type of person is not successful within the wikipedia community and so i didn't get that email so that was that was refreshing all right um so back to william butler again he says this is from reading for all, he referring to me he repeatedly says wikipedia should be something different and refers to what's different about online but he never gets prescriptive and never actually says what why the old methods are outmoded he does say his Wikipedia would seek to arrive at the truth using every tool necessary and would, for example, allow original research. But what then is the mechanism for, dare I say, verifying it? There's that word again. So, you know, all these things that I said that I, I think would be better than Wikipedia, but then what's the mechanism for verifying it? It's like, I think the most supportable definition of verifying is verifying that a reliable publication said this. But in that context, it's so hard not to read. It's hard not to read that as saying, what's the, what is the mechanism for determining whether this is true? Like verifying, like what, what then is the mechanism for determining whether it's true or not? And it's like, they're not concerned about it. They just want it to be a ver have a verifiable. It's like they can't see any other system other than the one they have. Verifying equals citation equal uh, from a reliable source equals the thing that we're using instead of truth. And that. That is the achievable goal that we've chosen and any other system has to use, choose that same goal. And if you don't use that, then how, you know, it's like saying, how can you cite something without citing it? Well, it's, it's like a tautology, you know, it's a, it's, it's a different, what I'm getting at is a different mindset for a different goal. And so if you, if you take the old rules and apply it to it, of course, it's not going to work. So would, would that statement have sounded as strong if you said something like, uh, Finding someone who said in a publication that has a good track record of reliability. Finding someone who said this, right? 
What then is the mechanism, you know, so say, arriving at the truth using every tool necessary and would, for example, allow original research. But what then is the mechanism for finding someone who said this in a publication that has a good track record of reliability? Well, the mechanism for finding someone who said this in a publication that has a good record of reliability is citations. Of course, you're going to arrive at what Wikipedia does, right? But when you say, what then is the mechanism for verifying it? It makes it sound like you are implying that what Wikipedia does is the only way to arrive at the truth or anything close to the truth. Uh, now, William mentions this. I think he mentions this in his thing. And many other, uh, I'm surprised that many more people didn't mention it. I expected uh, just immediate feedback on this. Uh, can you think of another common venue in life where truth is not the goal? Entertainment? No, I mean like relate where, where it's surprising that truth is not the goal. Because obviously truth is not the goal in entertainment. But it's, it's you know... The same way it might be surprising to somebody that truth is not the, the goal of Wikipedia. Another venue where it seems like truth is the goal, but it's really not. Tell me. So I'll give you a hint. A, a venue where <laughs> truth doesn't matter, but only uh, all that matters is what you can prove. What's that? Uh, you would probably be saying law, right? A court of law, right? Yeah. I mean, more, most people are familiar with that from, you know, from entertainment, from courtroom dramas and stuff. And they know... The a yeah. court of law is not pursuing the truth. It doesn't matter what's true in a court of law. It only matters what you can prove. And that is a, that's a venue where I don't think people are surprised about that just because from so many television shows and movies and, you know, that people are not shocked that that's the way things are. They're shocked the first time that they see it and then, then they, they get outraged and then they realize it's just the way it is. Yeah, and I, th- that's the reason I thought courts would come up because it's if you're going to support the idea that we should have verification, not truth, why not cite another institution that has a similar policy where uh, we don't, we're not even, you know, we're trying to pursue the truth, but it's not our goal and we don't really care what the hell is true. It only matters what you can prove, right? And that's, that's a court of law. And now courts are, are instructive, I think, because in courts, primary sources are what you want. You don't want hearsay. You don't want secondary sources. You don't want tertiary sources. You want primary sources. So how is it that this is an institution where... They're not pursuing truth. They only care about what you can prove, which is their uh, version of the word verifiability. But they don't want secondary or tertiary sources. They only want primary sources. They want eyewitnesses. How does, how does that work in a court? That's a question for you, Dan. Hmm. Well, I, you need to have the direct witness. You can't have the hearsay. You can't have third-party stuff. It all has to be exactly, I was there. I saw it. Otherwise, you, you can't even enter it. And how does that how does that help them arrive at anything approaching the truth? Well, it, it doesn't. That's where you're going with this. It, well, it, no, it, but like, it, that's their goal is to try to figure out what happened. And this is the mechanism they've chosen to do it. It's like the exact opposite mechanism what Wikipedia has chosen. But their goal is both to like you know figure out what happened in the case of a court or record uh, record facts. Uh, how, you know, the, how can that possibly work? Having a dude go up there and say. Yeah, I saw him do this. And then have a different <laughs> dude go up there and say, actually, I saw him do that. And it, like, it, it seems like, as many people would say, look, if you don't have, if you're not reliable, relying on citations from sources that meet some criteria that we set as a collective, and you just have a bunch of people write down what they think they know, how is it not to send into chaos? And one example is, well, how do you have a whole bunch of different witnesses, uh, a whole bunch of different primary sources uh, testifying in a court of law and, you know, how, how, does, how does that help them? You're saying that totally can't work online, but it does work in a court of law. What's the difference, right? Well, there are a couple aspects here. One is that the, this is a, you know, in a case of a jury trial, the jury gets to decide who is credible. 
right? That's part of the whole part of the trial. Like they see the person saying something and a jury, they, a jury of your peers. And they don't they don't necessarily take what that person says at face value. They are making a judgment in the context of that case of who they believe. Right. And there's there's different, you know, in civil criminal, there's, there's a civil criminal split. So there's another detail of the thing where the the standard of proof is different in those different contexts. So you've got like beyond a reasonable doubt that we're all familiar with from criminal cases on TV and everything. And then civil, you have the preponderance of the evidence. And I don't want to go more into this law stuff because I'm clearly not a lawyer. Uh, but, yeah, if you thought you were getting emails before, forget it. If you talk about law, forget it. Right. But, but I mean, mainly I'm just pointing out is it's, there's, there's a system where it works almost entirely on primary sources. Primary sources is the preferred mechanism. Uh, and it, it has developed a system, very different system from Wikipedia, uh, that helps it use primary sources to arrive at the truth. What I'm trying to, to point out is that being a tertiary source is not the only way, not the only system for trying to arrive at something that gets close to the truth. All right. So now how how would we allow primary sources in an online collaboration? Like what if if we're building some new thing and we say I don't want there to be a barrier uh to entry where people are are you know kicked out because oh you can't contribute the knowledge you have. Like if they're uh, and you know and again it's, it's so hard to talk about this because it gets wrapped up in like well, is it is it because they're primary sources they're being kicked out? Well in some contexts primary sources are allowed. Well is it because they're not notable? Uh, well, you know, then it's inclusionist versus deletionist. You know, it, it does all get wrapped up in there's many different aspects to this uh, particular debate. But talking about this new thing, I'm trying to identify what would allow uh, original research, what would allow primary sources and still arrive at a product that is a shared repository of knowledge. I don't want to use the W word because anytime, as soon as you mention it, it's like, how can we change Wikipedia? Can we make a Wikipedia-like thing? I'm just trying to blue sky it here, right? So the first thing that a lot of people, uh, I mean, actually, I don't know if a lot of people pointed this out. Some people like skirted around it or assumed it was impossible as part of their argument. Uh, but it immediately sprung to mind. I think I, I thought I had mentioned in the past show, maybe not, is that you need to have some sort of identity system. Uh, some way, I mean, you have that in a court of law because you go up there, people see the person, the person testifies to be, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot different than online where it's just completely, completely anonymous. You need some way to identify the participants. Now, one way, one type of identity is real identity. Uh, so, for example, if you want to provide firsthand knowledge of something, you may have to identify yourself with your actual identity, your actual name, who you actually are uh, in some way that we decide is acceptable. So Twitter tries to do this, too. They've got those verified accounts. There's that word again, unfortunately, where they say, you know, this is really Brad Pitt. Like we've totally verified this is Brad Pitt. Uh, and Twitter, I think, has also shown how hard it is to do that because I think they've had accounts that have been, quote unquote, verified. And then later they find out, oh, that's totally not the celebrity we said it was. It was somebody who tricked us. Uh, so this is hard to do. And, and can be gamed, but I think, it, you know, it's, it's possible. Uh, so, for example, especially for things like celebrities, it's pretty easy for a celebrity to conclusively verify that they are who they say they are, assuming the security of the system and their password is not hacked and yada yada, all the things that we deal with in every other system that has any kind of verification online. A celebrity can just put a statement on their, their website that they control, upload a video of themselves that, you know, I mean, we haven't quite reached the point where it's trivially easy for people to fake a video of Brad Pitt saying a bunch of stuff. That still requires, you know, a little bit more effort than most people are willing to go through with it. I think this is a solvable problem. And I think identity online is something we've always dealt with. Right. Uh, so 
that's a real identity. And for example, if you wanted to uh, provide firsthand knowledge of, you know, an event that you witnessed or some information about yourself or whatever, it, having doing so using your real identity that was uh, validated according to some set of rules that, you know, continues to evolve and gets worked on. It's one way to do that. That's certainly not allowed in Wikipedia according to their rules because they would rather have you talk to a reliable publication, have the reliable publication quote-unquote fact-check that or be reliable based on past evidence or just be something that their grandparents read. I keep getting into that, which is, you know, I'm being snarky, but I, I have trouble letting go of the notion that make something a reliable publication doesn't have anything to do with reliability, but just has more to do with like uh, uh, past events and past events are not necessarily indicative of future events. So anyway, um, there's a second kind of identity, which is I, I call it fake identity in my notes here, but that's kind of a bad thing. What, what if you want to allow people to contribute, but they don't need to identify as who they really actually are? How can that possibly work? I mean, if we're not, if, you know, the people on the witness stand have to be who they say they are and, there's the concept of perjury, where if you lie, you're held accountable for that. But if you're not actually identifying yourself as your real self, how can you ever be held accountable for anything? How There's no such thing as perjury if you're allowed to go on the witness stand with a mask and despise your voice, you know. Because that when they say, oh, you've perjured yourself, you're going to jail. Well, who's going to jail? Come and find me. You don't even know who I am, right? So the concept of perjury can't exist without real identity. But online, real identity is a non-starter. You can't require that of everybody. Look like Google Plus trying to do it. It's just it's not going to happen. So how can you have a system with direct contribution with quote-unquote fake identities. Or like, you know, people immediately say, well, if you don't have real identity, you're anonymous. Well, there's an in-between where, you know, pseudonyms or fake identities. And the, the model that I point to for that actually working is Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow is entirely made up of people directly contributing under identities don't necessarily have any connection to any particular person and are not necessarily trackable back to an individual person. They are manufactured entities. You could have, you could, you know, have alts for yourself. You know, you can have 10 accounts on Stack Overflow and play them all at the same time. It's got the gamification thing going there as well. Uh, but they've developed a system for, you know, direct contribution of knowledge using an identity system that isn't tied to real identities. And they've, you know, come up with a model that works for their particular format, Q&A of mostly factual information. But it's not just like, uh, what method do I call to do this? Like where you can, you know, where it's there's one answer and only one answer. There's subjective stuff on Stack Overflow as well. And they struggle with this too. But there's the concept of having a really good answer and people looking at how you've answered a particular, particular question and rating you highly because it in gaining reputation. Uh, and again, I don't think this is directly applicable to something like Wikipedia, but I think it's a real live example showing where direct contribution without real identity can actually be feasible. And before Stack Overflow existed and before like Quora existed, which is another site that I'm less familiar with, but many, uh, many people pointed out to me. Uh, before those things existed, if you had said, I'm going to make a site where, uh, where people ask questions and anybody can answer them, people would have said, well, it's just going to end up like Yahoo Answers. Have you seen that? It's a piece of crap. People don't know what they're talking about. The people who answer the questions don't know any more than the people who are asking them. And all you're making is a repository of uh, misleading or erroneous information. They just didn't have the right system. And the right systems produced much more usable things. Stack Overflow is, is a pillar of the internet now, you know? <laughs> a tent pole of the yeah. internet. But if you had said before that, you know, is this possible? And you could point to Yahoo Answers saying, or Experts Exchange saying, no, it's clearly not possible, right? Um, so 
and, and I still think citations, the, the final thing is that citations are still, would still be a very important part of this. Uh, and in fact, if you look, for example, in a really good answer to a Stack Overflow question asking about, you know, what's the best way to, uh, you know, do such and such in my new business or, you know, how, what are the 10 different ways to repair a bicycle tire and their pros and cons and stuff. Many of the best Stack Overflow answers or core answers for that matter, which are directly contributed by individuals with their fake or real identities, uh, are the fact that they use citations that they will not so much citations in the Wikipedia style, but they will link, they will link, you know, they will make a statement and link keywords in the statement back to the place from whence that knowledge came in typical, just, you know, good web, web writing fashion, right? So citations would still definitely be part of this because you're, where are you getting this from? Are you making this up from whole cloth? What do you have to, you know, in any online uh, interaction, even in forums, when you see people arguing about, you know, who's the better Pokemon character, they're they're using citations. Everything they write is citing someone else saying a similar thing, or you know, and they're not doing it because they want to be like Wikipedia. It's just the way the way people interact online is that they expect that if you're having any sort of argument, you're not going to be doing it all from whole cloth. So it's a combination of uh, you know your reputation uh, within the system as a contributor and your citations and stuff like that. Uh, so then you have a case like when would. Uh, what trumps what, right? So people say, well, what if Brad Pitt comes on the page and, and uh, says that his birthday is something that it's not? I can't keep picking birthday. It's a bad straw man. I should pick something better. But what if Brad Pitt says that he uh, totally never cheated on whoever it was that he, I don't keep track of celebrities, but he says he doesn't, didn't cheat on this person, but I can cite an article in People that says he did. I can cite the New York Times that says uh, that right. he's reported to have cheated on it. And I, you know, you do always say, who, who wins in that case? And that's the other thing. It's like, well, you know, in Wikipedia, uh, you saying something about yourself on an issue that you have a stake in, like you don't want to be seen as someone who cheats. Well, we're going to strike that because we're going to say, you clearly have a bias here. You can't simply claim that you didn't uh, cheat on that other person. That doesn't stand. Now, if you want to do an interview with People Magazine in which you say that you didn't cheat on that person, that's fine. And then someone else can go to Wikipedia and say, in an interview in 1984, Brad Pitt claimed that he didn't cheat on blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That dance is the thing I want to eliminate. And I would like Brad Pitt to be able to contribute directly. And so how does that work? It works simply by saying uh, Brad Pitt, who is a direct contributor, who has a verified identity, directly writes in the page. And it's clear that he's the one who wrote this, just like it is clear in Stack Overflow. You know, I never cheated on blah, blah, blah. It's not like he's writing it as the gospel truth. It's clear that it's being written by Brad Pitt and, you know, the, the person identified correctly as Brad Pitt. And it stands on the page for people to decide like they do in a court of law. Well, Brad Pitt says this and then someone else will write the seven other things that cite those other things. But they both stand and Brad Pitt got to contribute directly to that page. You know what I mean? He didn't have to do an interview, which was then cited. And in fact, half of the, the reliable citations where the New York Times article could very well have weasel words in it itself where, you know, it was widely reported that Brad Pitt cheated on blah, blah, blah. And there's no citations in the New York Times article. They just say it was widely reported. And then because the New York Times is a reliable source and we assume they have fact checkers and stuff, they let that slide and say, oh, well, it was widely reported. Well, how do I know it's widely reported? Because New York Times said it was widely reported. Well, did they have citations? No, they don't have to. They're the New York Times. <laughs> and that stands, but someone writing that directly wouldn't. You know, I want everything to be inclusive. So for example, when you had, and again, this gets tied up in notability, when you have the, all those people who want to record the origins of the, of the term FTFF on a page, they're allowed to do it directly, even though they were the ones who participated in the various threads in the various forums, right? And even though they're the ones who are going and researching stuff. And if you don't trust those guys to say, well, you know, I think these guys have a stake in the issue and they're going to make it seem like something that it wasn't. 
you can follow the links to, you know, to the forums and see, yes, this was actually said in the forum and, and look at the modification dates on it and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's, I want a more inclusive system. It doesn't mean you can't have citations and it doesn't mean it has to be exactly like Wikipedia. It would have to be something different, but I think it could work. Um, and my main meta argument for all the people who say everything you're proposing doesn't, will not work. Uh, it's not feasible. You don't realize how difficult it is. The Wikipedia rules are, have arrived, been arrived at painfully over time. They started from the rules for, for encyclopedias, which were honed over many, many centuries or whatever and then modified in many different ways and continue to evolve just for the purpose of get, getting this thing to work. And your pie in the sky theory of allowing more people to contribute and, and, and loosening some restrictions while adding new mechanisms to counteract, that's just not going to work. My counter argument to that is if you had explained Wikipedia exactly as it exists today, before Wikipedia existed, everyone would have said it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? It, Wikipedia is the counter argument to, to the, the fact that nothing could replace it, mm -hmm. right? Where it sounds like it's never going to possibly work. And, and you explain it to people, and that's, that's going to be a giant mess. And this, in the same way, you can say that a Q&A site can't possibly work. because We have an actual example. Look at Yahoo Answers. It's horrible. Uh, but, you know, Stack Overflow does exist. Quora does exist. They are better than Yahoo Answers. Wikipedia does exist. It did work. I think that this vaguely specified thing that I'm sort of hand-waving my way around could exist and could work. And I think the pieces have been proven in isolation and they could be combined to something better. Uh, the critical path, the critical mass thing is still out there where it's like, well, so what, even if you had something better, could you ever unseat Wikipedia? Perhaps no, perhaps the only viable strategy forward is if you really wanted this change is to work within the system to change it from within to modify Wikipedia to be more like the thing that you want. And that's probably true, but I don't have that kind of time. Uh, so I don't know what the future of, of this space is, uh, I don't know if it's ever possible to make anything like I'm saying. I just have this gut feeling that it is. And it's not verifiable and you can't cite it. And, it, it, you know, you can't prove that it's true. But it's a feeling that I have. Uh, I have a few leftovers. Before that, we will do, we'll do some business. We've got a second sponsor here. It's MailChimp.com Easy Email Newsletters. These guys have been a very, very long time sponsor. We're proud to have them. Uh, these guys make it simple to send newsletters. And they have tons and tons and tons of resources uh, for people. If you've never sent a newsletter before, you think, why would I want to do that? Seriously, newsletters, I have to say, people laugh. They think I'm kidding. When I say, newsletters, they're the past, but they're the future too. Tons, I know tons of people who send newsletters and that's where tons of really awesome info. But listen, I don't. Need, you, you already know if you want to do a newsletter. If you do, go check these guys out. They've got amazing features. My favorite one, and this is the one I'm telling everybody about, it's this thing they call the Inbox Inspector. This is one of the biggest headaches is, and if you do any web design, you can appreciate this. How is this thing going to look when I send it to people? They have this thing called the Inbox Inspector, and it will show you 60 screenshots of what your newsletter that you've just created on the template that you made or one of the ones that they use, because uh, they, they give you a ton of them for free. It will show you exactly what it's going to look like in every email client that exists just about i mean outlook and like they have outlook 2003 in there they, they have apple mail it'll show you what it looks in, like in gmail yahoo mail hotmail you name it and it's there and it shows you what it's going to look like and it, it stuff this is one of the tools and it's all free you don't have to pay for any of this stuff um 2000 subscribers a month 12,000 emails a month 
No contract, no expiring trial, no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Someone in the chat room uh, while you were discussing this said, uh, if there was a way to verify a primary source, Wikipedia probably would allow original research. There's that word again. If there was a way to verify a primary source, mm. what does that even mean? What are you trying to say? They're trying to say, if there was a way to cite a primary source uh, as a tertiary source, Wikipedia probably would allow it. To verify, what are you verifying about them? It's like, well, it gets back to identity. Are you verifying their identity? In that case, yes. Do you need an identification verification system? And without one, yes, you can't have Brad Pitt contributing because how the hell do you know it's Brad Pitt, right? Uh, you'd have, I was proposing a model where Brad Pitt does not have to talk to another publication and do an interview that's a reliable publication and then cite that interview that he can contribute directly and that what he's contributing is clearly, you know, his words, right? Uh, the thing that other people are pointing out in the, in the chat room is that, you know, uh, we're talking about how a lot of people send me emails saying, well, actually, primary sources are allowed under certain conditions. And actually, you know, notability is not as strict as you say and pointing to all these, you know, WP colon some other alphabet soup of words. The best one I saw, I think this was on Twitter, was from Hans Hauer, H-A-N-N-E-S. I think hmm. it's Hans. I don't know. Hans. Yes. And I put it in the show notes. Uh the URL is Wikipedia colon ignore all rules. And the entire text of the uh, Wikipedia page is if a rule prevents you from improving or maintaining Wikipedia, ignore it. This is an official Wikipedia page. Huh. Um, I'm assuming that was put there for someone to make them feel better or make other people feel better. And I, I get the spirit of it that it's not it's not supposed to be we, that in general, Wikipedia doesn't like excessive rules lawyering because it leads to silliness. And so it's like, these are all guidelines. Wikipedia is a tertiary source. Doesn't mean primary sources can't contribute, but there's a whole sort of, it just means it's complicated. There's rules for uh, applying to it. But this particular thing says, if a rule prevents you from improving or maintaining Wikipedia, ignore it. All that does is shift the burden to, now let's argue about what improving means. It doesn't really solve the problem at all. It does express, uh, uh, the spirit of that does express the idea that you shouldn't be, so strictly you know, interpreting every single rule, right? Uh, but I don't think it solves anything. And that's what all the people in the chat room who are saying primary sources are allowed. You just, there's just restrictions on it. And, and these rules are not as hard and fast as you make them out to be. That's probably all true. But, you know, the rules form sort of the shape of the environment of, of Wikipedia. Uh, I have other random tidbits didn't fit into the structure I wanted to give to the other one. Somebody did an entire podcast about... Uh, a podcast replied to this podcast. Uh, Morgan Harris, because of the self-improvement podcast. This was the very, the inaugural episode of the self-improvement wow. podcast. Well, how? Which, uh, I, I should have wrote this down, but it's something like uh, when smart people say stupid things or some other motto of like the, the, the thrust of this podcast was he's going to find people who he thinks otherwise are uh, uh, worth listening to, but here's some stupid stuff that they said, which I, which I think is commendable. It's kind of like the fight Notre Dame uh, concept from a few shows back where you're not just looking for the idiot who says a bunch of stupid things because idiots say stupid things all the time. You're looking for the smart people to say stupid things because it's more interesting in that case. So there's hope for these people. So I'm glad that he thinks there's hope for me. Uh, uh, in his podcast, one uh, it, it's pretty short too, unlike these podcasts. One thing that he talked about was he got into the what is truth business again. And uh, he was saying, I can't believe he's suggesting that people are allowed be allowed to con directly contribute. Doesn't he understand that people lie? Uh, and they, they, you know, they're, they, for things they know to be untrue. And then furthermore, to, even when they're telling the truth, there are many things that have been quote unquote known that 
turned out to be wrong. So he pointed to the Wikipedia page of a list of common misconceptions, and he listed a few of them, like Earth being the center of the universe or whatever, you know, that people have known all sorts of things that turned out to be wrong. So, you, you know, basically you can't trust people. They're, they're not reliable. You can't have them directly contributing. Uh, I don't think that's a great example because had Wikipedia existed at the time, it would be trivially easy to find lots of quote-unquote reliable, quote-unquote verified citations that the Earth is the center of the universe. So those facts would have stood... They would have stood with a bullet. I mean, there would have been no problem writing the Wikipedia page saying the Earth is the center of the universe. Citation, 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 citation. What's a reliable citation? Well, the Catholic Church, duh. I mean, they run the entire society that we live in. You know, they clearly <laughs> right. they know. What the, you know, you're gonna. You think you have a less, a, a more reliable uh, institution than the Church on this issue? You must be joking. That's the most reliable citation there could possibly be. Uh, so I would. I think he went off of the rails a little bit in trying to explain why he thinks it's a bad idea to have direct contribution because the examples he gave were actually counterexamples. Like all, all of those common misconceptions would just be cited out the wazoo, triple gold star, totally verified, completely within the rules of existing Wikipedia citation rules. Uh, and that, I think, supports my argument because it's like it's the, the, the appeal to authority thing. Well, what, what, makes, what would make the Catholic Church reliable? Oh, you know, it just, you know, it just is. It's like the New York Times. Well, it just is because it's history and, they, you know, and in, in hindsight, we can say, oh, the Catholic Church didn't know what they were talking about or any church or anything like that. Didn't know what they were talking about on those issues. They should not have been cited. Perhaps in hindsight, we will see that the New York Times should not have been cited as a reliable source, you know, three centuries from now, because little did we know that there was, you know, this, it's hard to tell from where you are is what I'm saying to decide what is a reliable source. We, do, we just do the best we can. So maybe that's a neutral because it's not. Yeah, I, I don't like the fact that that is the house on which Wikipedia is built, but I do recognize that you have to use something uh, when you're doing citations to uh, to decide what's worth citing and what's not. Uh, I just want to point out that we can sometimes be wrong about that. And in fact, I would, for historical purposes, I would much better value direct accounts. Uh, even not that I would take the. It's like when you're reading about direct accounts in a history book, you're not believing every word that the person says, what you're believing is that this person said that. And the only the only responsibility the publication has is to do their best to verify that the person they're talking to really is Abraham Lincoln. And he really did say this on this particular date. And either he recorded it himself or it was recorded by someone else and like, you know, secondary source. So they don't have to be a tertiary source. You don't have to wait for the paper to print what Abraham Lincoln said. And then in your encyclopedia, write about what Abraham Lincoln led. Abraham Lincoln can write it directly in his uh, on uh, you know, contributed directly as long as we're verified that it really is Abraham Lincoln or someone who saw Abraham Lincoln can write it directly. And, uh, you know, enough people can contribute to that to say the, all these people said they saw Abraham Lincoln say this. Uh, you know what I mean? Versus trying to do the tertiary sourcing. I'm just waiting for someone in the chat room to tell me the secondary sources are perfectly valid in, in Wikipedia. And it all depends on context. Yes, everything depends on context. Uh, so I had someone else. I searched this email before the show started. And I couldn't find the name. I'll just call him the moon rock guy. <laughs> so I gave this silly example in sort of the uh, the height of my dementia or the, the fever of my rant about if one of the few remaining people who actually landed on the moon contributed directly to a Wikipedia page to comment that like he turned over a rock on the moon and the underside of it was green, which by the way is silly. I really don't think there are any green rocks. I'm right. making a silly example. And, you know, the, the page said that underneath the rocks in the moon, everything was blue, but he picked it up and he said it was green, that he should be allowed to contribute that directly. Uh, and uh, here's uh, some feedback on this issue, this issue from a different email. This is not the moon rock guy. It's just a moon rock guy. Uh, 
the fact that that true is that true information, even from a primary source, is useless without verifiability. Uh, what am I going to say? There it is. Your moon rock guy might be colorblind. You might be he might you might be motivated to lie about your birth date. Verifiability is key to any venture that attempts to collect information. If only one person knows the truth, the information itself should be suspect and is likely to be of little interest to others. What are the chances, for example, that your moon rock guy wouldn't have done a press interview about what he saw? So there, there's looking for the, the secondary source to provide some, lend some credence to it. It's like, uh, you know, if only one person knows the truth, it's probably not of any interest. Well, if this only one person knows the truth because he's the only guy left alive who was on the moon, I think it is of interest because that's, you know, that's firsthand knowledge. And what are the chances he didn't say that interview? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he wants to contribute it directly. This is what I'm getting at about how, how online is different in what ways. I think online is different in that we don't necessarily need these intermediaries. Not that they should be excluded and that citations should be gone, but that we can live in a world where people can directly contribute to shared knowledge. I don't know, understand why people don't see how that's different than before. Before, the only way to let the world know what being on the moon was like was to give the Time, inter, Time Magazine interview. Because you can't talk to the whole world, but you can talk to Time Magazine and they can talk to the world. It's disintermediation. If you are on the moon and you can contribute your firsthand knowledge to this repository that everybody can see, you can cut out the middlemen. It doesn't mean what you say is 100% true and that you can't lie. It would merely be a record of you saying these things and you don't need someone in between to verify that you are who you say you are if the thing you're contributing to has an identity system that we developed that, that has a verification system that we believe is adequate. The same way a court of law does. I'm sure people have testified in courts of law lying about who they are and gotten away with it. Uh, it's difficult. We make it difficult. No system is foolproof. But this is what I'm talking about how, about how online is different. Right. Uh, one person, the actual Moonrock guy who, couldn't who I couldn't find, even said that uh, the idea that uh, the, the guy who was on the moon should be allowed to contribute that information is, in fact, an appeal to authority fallacy. Because you say, oh, you're just saying because he's so super duper important, you should believe what he says because he was, you know, uh, he's the moon landing guy. Therefore, he should be like, that's appeal to authority. You're saying, oh, he's, he's unassailable because he's an authority. No, it's not an appeal to authority fallacy. Appeal to authority fallacy is because, you know, Right from the Wikipedia page. I love citing Wikipedia in, in podcasts where I complained about, you know, most of what the authority has to say about something is correct. The authority says this, therefore, this is correct. The reason we give weight to the firsthand Moonrock guy knowledge is not because he's an authority, but because the fact that he's him put him in a position to know. It's not, it's not the fact that he's him means that everything he says is right. Because if appeal to authority would be he landed on the moon, therefore, I believe what he has to say about knitting. When it has nothing to do with knitting, you know, he was actually there. It's not an appeal to authority fallacy to say that the person with firsthand knowledge is in a superior position to uh, be, be uh, to have some information that's relevant to landing on the moon. It's not because he's an important person who landed on the moon. Um, what else do we have in here? Uh, I think that's probably the end of the odd and ends. Poor, poor Morgan Harris. Uh, I, I listened. I listened to his podcast, which was entertaining and fun. And I, I liked the fact that he had an accent because I like listening to people with with accents. And I couldn't place where it was, but his uh, Twitter page says that he's from uh, uh, Australia. But hmm. he didn't sound Australian to me. And then I started just questioning everything about my ability to identify accents. Like, do you think you could identify an Australian accent if you heard it? If I just heard it without any framework, and somebody said, hey, you know, I probably. Maybe, but then they, somebody would have a South African accent just to try and throw me off. Yeah, and if you had asked me that before, I would have said, of course I can identify an Australian accent. Who doesn't know an Australian accent? It's very distinctive from, you know, a British accent. Sure. But then I heard Morgan Harris talking, and I, for the life of me, could not, I did not think he was Australian. He says he might have some Welsh in there and mm. some American from listening to podcasts. Well, I don't know. So I'm, I'm questioning my ability to identify <laughs> accents at all. 
Uh, but anyway, I, I listened to his podcast and it was fun. And at the end of it, he did a, uh, I wasn't the only subject of it. He did some other guy who had another podcast and he said a whole bunch of things that weren't true about MPEG. And he went off on that guy. And then at one point he uh, went off on that guy because he was talking about how there's digital content on laser discs. Uh, and he said, no, 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 laser discs are analog. And I uh, had to be my hypercritical self and send him a correction that uh, uh, digital audio could be actually on a laser disc. And he said he knew that, but just didn't want to get bogged down in the details. So it's a never ending cycle of, uh, of criticism here. Uh, but I, want, I do want to give him props for uh, putting in the effort to make a podcast response. You like that. Is that, the, is that the proper way, the way that you would like for everybody to respond to us? I think a blog post, uh, like that long, the long blog post that uh, William did, uh, is better because I can read that much faster than I can listen to a podcast. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if everyone does it, then it becomes too much. But if one guy does it every once in a while, I think it's nice. You're, that's acceptable to you. So there's probably more I could do on Wikipedia, but I think I have hit highlights here. Is there any, any other parts of it you think I missed or any questions you I, have about I don't think that anything thing? exists that you missed. No, that, believe me, there is. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't get to your specific uh, uh, objection. For people whose objection I didn't get to, assume that you are correct. That'll make you feel better. Yeah, that'll make, us make not their, have to talk about Wikipedia again. Make their whole day. Yeah. I think we have to end here. How about that? How about uh, how 80, about that? 88 so, minutes? It's tight. It's, it's practically. Wow. It's like a yeah. condensed version. It's like uh, the instant coffee version of this show. I apologize for all the people who wanted me to talk about uh, ZFS and file systems. That's it's on the list for next show. Wait, how did the, who did you say you were going to talk about that last time? You did, didn't you? I think I did. And a lot. And there was a ZFS related product announcement for the Mac this week. So a lot of people were asking me, hey, are you going to talk about this on the show? It's it's on the list. Let's say that. But if we want to, if we want to keep it tight, you know, we have to. I love I love the part on build and analyze where the, the end of the episode we're running out of time. They said, but maybe I, well, maybe I can talk about Wikipedia. It was like a bad flashback for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. No, don't talk about Wikipedia. You won't fit it in 15 minutes. Yeah. You're right. I'm done. Yeah, you need I'm to right. lay down now, or anything? You're right. No, that's your thing now. You're asking all your hosts if they need to lay down. Well, you, you sound you sound a little exhausted. You seem yes. You seem a little exhausted. You seem a little upset. Sometimes uh, a nice, you know, a little nap or something. Well, I don't nap, but it seems like everybody else does. Yeah. No, I don't nap either. No, I, I I just feel like this is such a big topic. Here's here's what I feel like. All the people who wrote me, I think we could have a constructive discussion about their things, and maybe I would disagree with some of it and agree with some of it or whatever, but. The at, after a certain volume, addressing all of that on the podcast is just not feasible, and it's just not interesting for enough people. So that's why I was trying to summarize in a vague sort of way, and that's why I said if you feel like you still have like the master point that disproves everything that I was saying, you may in fact be right. But I, you know, I don't have time to go through them all. It was just too much, uh, and this is not an invitation to come to my home and discuss it with me. But if we ever happen to meet someday and trapped in an elevator. And you say, you know, I wrote a letter to you about Wikipedia and you didn't talk about it on the air. <laughs> At that point, we can discuss it. And I think we will have an instructive discussion. For sure. All right. Well, have a very good week, John, and everybody who's listening, have a very good week. We'll be back uh, same time next week, right? People don't, we, we need, I need to, people always get on me. You can tune in live every time in the chat room, usually when we're just getting started. People will, will say, this is my first time tuning in live. I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know there was a chat room. What's he always talking about? Chat room. What's he always talking about? Show notes. So let me explain all of that. And this is a way that you as a listener, if you want, 
can be an active participant in the show. As you can hear the whole time, John and I will are, we're watching the chat room. We're responding to the comments in there. You can be a part of the show if you want. We'd love for you to be. You go to 5x5.tv. That's the starting point. There's a little link up there that says live. You click that, you can listen live. You can, uh, you can stream and you can hear it. You can do the same thing if you go to 5x5.fm and open up iTunes. You can go to the iTunes uh, radio, they call it. We're in there. You can listen live that way. You can open it up in uh, Safari on your, on your iPhone, open up 5x5.fm, and it'll stream it live to you while you're on the go. All of this stuff is there. We've got more things coming to let you listen live. But that's the starting point. The show notes. Go to 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 53, and you can see all of these links that John painstakingly found and organized and put up there. And we want to say thanks to helpspot.com. They're, they make it possible for us to, uh, to keep that going. And... Uh, so that's it. And there's a chat room there. So when you go to the 5x5.tv slash live, there's a, there's a chat room. Or if you're a real geek and use IRC, go to irc.freenode.net and join pound 5x5 and you'll, you'll be in there. And then you can talk right to John and tell him he's wrong. You don't have to shout at your, at your iPod. You just go in and talk in the room and he'll see you. And yeah, you can nothing, f- nothing like the satisfaction of correcting me in real time. That's as great. People can attest. Yeah. If you, yeah, you think you're better than John? Show up in the chat room. Show them up. By correcting me in real time, you are improving the podcast. Right. You're being helpful. Don't think you're not being helpful. You are. So go for it. Go for it. And follow John on Twitter. He is Syracusa. And I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And we appreciate you listening. We appreciate uh, you taking the time out to tune in. And uh, also, you know, if you enjoy the show, give us give us a, a positive rating on iTunes. It's the, best, the nicest thing you could you could do to help new people find it. What else, John? Anything else? That's a long list. Long laundry list there of things to go over. I think you covered it all, man. All right. Everybody have a good week. Take care. Mm-hmm.